0: Hello, and welcome to this new episode of Head and Heart, a podcast by Probe Ministries. I'll be your host today, Paul Rutherford. Probe is a ministry that does Christian apologetics and worldview to help Christians think biblically the other six days of the week. If you haven't checked our website, go to probe.org. Today, we're going to talk about woke theology. Woke theology. Is the social justice movement hijacking the gospel? That's the question. And in studio, we're going to have, as my guest, Kirby Anderson.
1: And it's great to be with you, and it's going to be a topic that we're going to get into in some detail.
0: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. One thing that I just want to acknowledge right off the bat is that this is real controversial. This is real divisive. And Kirby, if I can not steal your thunder, but hopefully set you up, that really the bottom line here that we want for you to get out of this is for you to have a conversation where you can speak what you think clearly and definitively, hopefully biblically, but mostly, especially if you call yourself a Christ follower, to do so in a way that's gentle to do so in a way that's respectful.
1: And that's certainly the case because we recognize that when we talk about this idea of woke or woke agenda, woke theology, there are individuals that have bought into some of that or have said, look, I'm really concerned about the injustice that I see around me, so why shouldn't we use these kinds of ideas? But again, we're going to talk a little bit about where it came from, what it means, some of the ideas that necessarily, by definition, are anti-biblical, and then say, well, okay, if you're a Christian, how do you respond to some of these issues that we've raised in a biblical kind of perspective? So that's why we're going to be covering a lot of ground and dealing with it in obviously a way that hopefully is not intended to be controversial, but given the fact that you have controversy in the society, we've certainly found that taking place every single day.
0: Indeed, indeed. So Kirby, let's, let's start it off. Let's just start by defining terms because it's so controversial. Like, w- What does that word mean when you talk about woke?
1: And again, I have that, uh, Paul, all the time having people come up uh, saying, what does this woke mean? There's a good book that came out recently that uh, actually is called Awake, Not Woke, but it's kind of playing off of the idea because the concept of wokeism goes beyond, although we're going to talk a lot today about racism, it goes beyond that. It is the idea that I have awoken, to the idea that almost everything in our society is structurally wrong. It is systemically racist. It is maybe homophobic. Uh, uh, it is uh, all sorts of different kinds of things. And so as a result I've become awoken to the fact that even though things look like they're getting better, structurally they are still rigged against individuals. And at its very core, I think it's important Paul to point out that uh, there is a rejection of the idea of absolute truth. Matter of fact, one of the booklets we make available is on critical race theory, and I have actually spoken on it before, and I was in New York, and somebody said, you know, I've read some of this stuff, but I don't hear where they say they deny absolute truth. They deny any kind of biblical truth, and I said, that's because that's the assumption walking into the door. Mm. The assumption as you walk into any university today, almost any academic discussion, is the assumption there is no truth. So if as Christians, we start with the perception and The understanding and the foundation that there is a truthful basis, then that is the case. And so, if you reject the idea of truth, well, then how do you decide what is right and wrong? Well, Hall of History is really a story of the oppressors against the oppressed. And there are oppressors and there are victims. And uh, history is written by the victors. So, as a result, you have things that are sort of anti homosexual. Uh, They sound uh, like they're really fair, but they're really racist. And so, all of these ideas of wokeism. Although we'll talk mostly about the race issue relates to some of the conversations you've had with Sue Boland about gender identity and the rest, Mm because it just rejects all of those ideas.
0: Hmm. So I hear you saying that uh, this idea woke is an idea that while society may seem like everything's good, uh, really, uh, there are parts of it that are oppressive to individuals that it's structurally out of out of balance that it's that there there is racism that exists in the system itself
1: right oppressive corrupt and all the rest and then we use this idea of woke theology i use it paul in two terms one for individuals that don't have a religious view then in many cases this idea of a woke agenda becomes an alternative a religion, maybe even a false religion, where if you think about this, if you read some of these books that deal with this issue of wokeism, it almost has its own systematic theology. So I use this in an idea that when we talk about woke theology, we mean it in a kind of a woke theology with air quotes. But then on a second level, we also recognize that because I have seen various very prominent Christians sometimes identify problems ever since the shooting of various individuals or the death of George Floyd or a variety of others. You have said, well, maybe we need to really buy into some of the concerns in terms of racism. So today you have these ideas of woke theology making their way into the various churches in America. So I use that term woke theology in two different ways because in some respects it is an alternative religion But on the other hand, people, again, sometimes uncritically conform to the culture. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We should be what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. But it's very easy for us to be conformed to this culture. Another verse that we always use here at uh, Probe is Colossians 2, 8, that we Mm -hmm. should not be taken captive. And so as we kind of go through this, I want people to understand that some of these ideas that are part of woke theology, like critical race theory, really come from a hostile, hostile worldview, a worldview that is hostile to Christianity, a worldview that Christians don't necessarily need to accept, but nevertheless has been given great prominence because of some of the books, articles, and just even kind of the political movement of our society today.
0: Yeah, you know, that's really interesting when you talk about the two different ways you're talking about woke theology. And the the first one I find really interesting is how it becomes a functional religion unto itself because our society now has become so increasingly secular, especially over the last five decades or so. Uh, and so it's just really interesting to, to consider that a religion. You could probably almost analyze it in terms of, you know, what does it consider sacred? What does it teach as truth? How does it do um, worship in formal assemblies? Who are its priesthood? You could probably take these kind of categories of religion, because I have a religious studies background myself, and you could probably look at it that way. That's interesting. I had not had never thought about it. Thank you for putting that in there. In addition to the fact that I'm in some ways... It's born out of a Western worldview, which is highly Christianized, or at least has a Christian culture, Christian heritage. And so it's going to borrow Christian terminology. Even that word theology just has itself Christian connotations inside it. So there's two different definitions there. So that's probably a helpful distinction for our listener to consider. Hey, how am I thinking about this term? Who am I communicating to? And how are they thinking about it as well? Just so they can achieve mutual understanding as they're talking about it. That's really interesting. Okay, so you talked about critical race theory, which is something I wanted to bring up in terms of how how are these two related? Because they seem related. Because Today we're having a conversation about woke theology, and I have in studio my guest Kirby Anderson, who's my boss, by the way, so thank you for joining me. And Kirby is the president of Probe Ministries, and you're also host of Point of View, right? A nationally syndicated uh, radio program.
1: Mm -hmm. Would you like to tell us anything about Point of View? Well, Point of View is where we've done one of these booklets on critical race theory, but also on racism as well. But again, you wanted to get into that idea because we've recognized that you hear these phrases, and um, first of all, there are some really good Books that have come out by Christians that we've done interviews on at Point of View talking about sometimes what critical race theory isn't. You know, this is a term bandied around Uh, two years ago. If we said this on the podcast, I think people would go. I don't even know what that is, and I don't care. Yeah. Now you hear it all the time. It's being yeah. used in political slogans and all the rest. So let's cut through that. And one of the advantages, of course, doing some of the interviews I do on Point of View is I get to talk to some of these very smart people that have researched a lot more than even you and I have. And the first thing is, is critical race theory really comes from a broader category just called critical theory. And it comes out of what's called the Frankfurt School. Why is it called that? Well, you have the Frankfurt Institute in Germany, but those proponents... Of those uh, left because the Nazis took over, and so they came to the United States to Columbia University, at that time was Columbia Teachers College, and developed what was called the Frankfurt School. What is that? They recognized that the traditional idea of Marxism really was not working. Karl Marx said that there would be a real schism in our society between those who were the owners and the factory workers, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And that eventually there would be a class struggle and there would be a rising up of these individuals and they would move to a socialist society and eventually to a communist society. Well, this idea of class struggle, though it is articulated by a lot of Marxists and is what's called classical Marxism, really never played out. If you look at the countries that have had communism, it was implemented from the top down. And this idea of class struggle didn't seem to be working very well. So you had various individuals who were Marxist who began to say, maybe Marx was right, but it's a broader issue. There is an oppressor and a victim, but the oppression comes sometimes in race. And sometimes it comes in gender, sexual orientation. And so you have critical race theory saying that the real issue is, is that there are oppressors and there are victims. You also have other kinds of critical theory as well. You'd have critical gender theory. You've talked about this before, in a sense, with uh, Sue Bolin Mm -hmm. and uh, the whole idea that uh, no longer do we believe in uh, some kind of binary situation, male and female. Uh, So you can see that it surfaces in a number of different ways different ways. We'll focus primarily on the issue of race because the argument of race is very simple. That is that uh, even though you think that you have done a very good job of removing race from um, any kind of issue in our society, racism still exists. And so as a result, when we try to look at various issues of inequality, we have income inequality, we have inequality in terms of the distribution of uh, healthcare resources and things like that, that is due to racism. Now, here you run into the first uh, technique I want to give to you, and this comes from our good friend Greg Kokel, which we've talked about before on the podcast, yeah, his book, because he refers to that as the Kafka trap, because as soon as you start having a conversation about this, the conversation devolves, because according to critical race theory, there is no need for a person who is presenting this to give evidence. They simply make demands. And any time you try to give counter evidence by saying, okay, there may be some reasons for inequality due to racism, but that may be small compared to a lack of parental instruction, poor choices, addiction, uh, a variety of things, corruption in the bureaucracy, whatever that might be, uh, then that is what is oftentimes referred to as the Kafka trap. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Kafka wrote a book called The Trial, in which you had an individual who was brought in by the totalitarian government and he claimed that he was innocent and their argument was well because you claim to be innocent that shows that you're guilty the kafka traps the same thing if you try to show that there are other reasons for inequality and injustice other than racism Well, that just proves you're racist and so i think one of the things that uh, we have talked about on this uh, program before uh, certainly greg kokel talks about this and others is that it is almost impossible to give counter evidence to this idea of critical race theory because the assumption from the beginning is you racist you will always be racist even if you try to be less white or less racist you're still part of a society that has allowed you privilege as a result and so there is really no in a sense solution to these problems which of course later on we'll get to because when people say well what's a christian answer well the christian answer obviously is is that we do believe that there is sin and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then the answer is Jesus Christ, and that we can have forgiveness and redemption Unfortunately, critical race theory, if you are always condemned and you're always a racist and you're always an oppressor, no matter what your age is or no matter whether or not you've even engaged in that, there's really no forgiveness. There's no redemption. And that's kind of the difficulty that if you want to come up with a theory that almost by its definition splits our society and never provides an alternative, That's kind of what critical race theory has become. Now, the one other thing I'll add real quickly, Paul, is a lot of people will say, well, this is actually just a theory that's used lots of times in law schools. Derrick Bell developed it at Harvard. uh, It later became chairman of the department at the University of Oregon. And uh, this is really just kind of an esoteric philosophy. That I would agree with. But those ideas work their way from law schools, graduate schools, universities into public schools and the rest. And so you will have people that will piously say, We don't teach critical race theory, but we teach a variety of other things, which if you go back and look at their roots, end up showing there. And so this is why it's surfaced as a big issue. You can't really understand the election of the governor and lieutenant governor in the Commonwealth of Virginia. You can't really even explain the decision the other day and the San Francisco School Board to take three members of the school board and have a recall election and remove all three of them with a vote of more than 70%. Wow So these are issues that are surfacing in the political realm i recognize that some people that use the phrase critical race theory don't quite understand what it means and i recognize that some people say we're not actually teaching it when we are but nevertheless that's the history of it and as we get into it you can see almost from its inception it's based on a, an entirely different type of view and foundation than a Christian point of view.
0: Yeah, and I'm so glad that you pointed that out because that's definitely something I wanted to provide for our listener in terms of how would we analyze critical race theory according to a biblical worldview? And what I already heard you say was it starts in it starts it gets some things right. There are definitely oppressors, I don't deny that. There are those who oppress, there are victims in life i've been a victim i've victimized others that's i would acknowledge that reality but it does miss the the critical point that all have sinned where scripture says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and man and god put his image in man but then man disobeyed and that put him into a state of sin and now man is separated from god and that's man's primary problem and i think that's probably another critical difference between a you know shall we say shall we call critical race theory a worldview which is probably really generous because it's not quite that f- as all encompassing but it does seem to see that the the primary problem is really about oppressor and oppressed relationships rather than about every individual person's need for forgiveness. And you talked about that. And I think we see that played out when we see, uh, you know, the public spectacle of rallies of, you know, what whatever they're protesting. There just seems to be a real lack of forgiveness. There seems to be a lack of understanding, mutual respect and affording um, really dignity for others. Now, some of that's just part of the human mob syndrome. That's our that's our own brokenness and fallenness, which I am certainly prone to. And I, I can be there in an instant. But I think these are some of the larger manifestations that we see of some of these ideas, because ideas have consequences. So we're talking about woke theology today. I'm having a conversation with Pro Ministries President Kirby Anderson. Kirby, I'm glad you're here. Uh, this has been a really good conversation. I hope it's been very beneficial to our listener. We've talked about woke, woke and wokeism. We've talked about woke theology. We've talked about critical race theory. What is that? What is critical theory in general? Where do these terms come from? This has all been helpful and informative. And so I have one more question for you then. So you mentioned you set up this idea uh, about the difficulty of criticizing critical race theory because the notion that white people, which I alone I am, uh, it, it's, it's privilege. And so because of your privilege, you're you are incapable of criticizing the system because you are yourself part of the problem. Um, so let's talk more about that. What, what is white privilege? Can you define that term for us and how it's related to this conversation?
1: And again, I would say that uh, people throw this term around, but most of them don't know the history. And if nothing else, I'm hoping this will be valuable enough in yeah. the podcast because it goes back to a woman by the name of Peggy McIntosh, a professor at Wellesley. And she put out a paper back in 1988. So shows you how long this has been around around about white privilege and male privilege, and she really got into it uh, really through the back door. She was actually articulating feminist ideas and talked about male privilege, and men do have privilege. Let's first of all acknowledge what she was trying to mention, and the best illustration is it's a parking garage late at night, and you have to get into an elevator to get into your car. Does a man feel a little more comfortable and safe than a woman? And I think every person Listening knows the answer to that question. Yeah. So she said, Well, once I look at male privilege, maybe we really need to focus on white privilege. And she came up with 26 different indicators that white privilege existed. Now, recognize this is in 1988, because what I want you to see is is that some of those were true then, but we've made phenomenal progress since then. And one of those is, uh, number five, I can turn on the television or open up the front page of the newspaper and see people of my race widely represented. Was it true back in, uh, even before she wrote this in the 1970s, that you had Walter Cronkite at CBS, you had David Brinkley and Huntley and others in NBC, yes, white males. Was that even true in the 1980s? Well, I can use even locally here at Channel H you had, I think you had Iola Johnson, uh, for example. Later on, you had John McKay. You had uh, Gloria Campos. Now you have Cindy Izaguira. You have a variety of other individuals. You have both Hispanic American and African American. As a matter of fact, right now on Channel 8, I'll just use that one, WFAA, you have an African American host, a Hispanic American host, and an African American sports. Broadcaster. Matter of fact, the only white male is the uh, person that does the weather. And so you can see that what used to probably be true has changed dramatically now, and that's one of her examples. Uh, She talks about, uh, for example, I can take a job with an affirmative action employer without having coworkers on the job suspect that I got it because of race. Mm -hmm. You know, that's always been a concern for our African-American friends. When I actually earn the right to get in this particular position, are they just looking at me as an affirmative action hire? And that's still a problem, and I think it was best illustrated by the fact that the current president of the United States decided, I'm going to put an individual on the Supreme Court that is what? An African American female. I mean, I feel sorry for the individual because then it says, I'm going to not look at anybody else except those. So you do have some of that still existing. But I would have to say a lot of that has faded away. One last example, I can choose blemish covers or bandage in flesh cover that are more or less matching my skin. That's a good one. I like this one. (laughs) Well, and again, you can go to many places. Just go to your local Walmart or uh, Walgreens, and you're going to see some of these things have changed. So I'm not trying to necessarily make fun of it, but I recognize that even as people use the idea of white privilege, Yes, that was true, but has some of that changed? And I always like to, as a matter of fact, there was a very good piece that came out with the uh, Prager You, They do these videos, and Brandon Tatum said, you know, what we should do is embrace privilege, because there is privilege. There's not just white privilege. For example, there's born-in-America privilege. I mean, we yeah, live point. in an incredibly affluent society, and my daughter, over the last couple of um Months have gone to Tanzania twice because the company she's with also drills water wells. And she's had some kids come over here from Tanzania. And they look around and they say, this is like a movie. We can't even believe this. You have paved streets and you have uh, all sorts of electronic gadgets and you everybody drives a car. And so in some respects, recognize, you know, I would say to those individuals who are trying to make a distinction between white privilege and the lack of white privilege for African Americans. If you talk to a real African, to an African American, they're going to go, you have no idea the privilege that you have or born in America, born to two parent privilege uh, born with clean water privilege i just talked about that a minute ago access to advanced medicine privilege Uh, they've been recently saying that uh, as we've had our eyes on what's happening in ukraine that only 35 percent of the people in ukraine have been vaccinated that percentage is in sometimes almost single digits in places like africa other places because we are so blessed and of course technology privilege i even put down one high school diploma privilege. My mother, she only went through two years of high school. I mean, you think of the number of individuals that are complaining about being a victim that have a high school degree, that live in the United States, that have, you know, so I think what we do is we embrace the fact that we have a tremendous amount of privilege, and that should, if nothing else, causes us as Christians to have an incredible amount of gratitude. Yeah, right? Gratitude. I mean, First uh, Chronicles 16: Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; for His steadfast love endures forever. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice, always pray, continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, in some respects, we should say, I, I agree, there is privilege. But when you look at the incredible privilege of being born in the 21st century in America with all the technological advances, all the medical advances, my grandfather, mm-hmm. I can't count you know if he was still alive he we would talk about all the children he buried because they died of mm. whooping cough and typhus and dysentery, and you know we have one person here on our staff that has Sad. polio. I know of no one else I've ever met, other than in the past, that has polio. Nobody I know dies of smallpox. I mean, we we do have a privilege, and yeah, I think we should blessed. really look at it we, in yeah, that way. And once you recognize, yeah, okay, they did identify white privilege, but the other privileges are even more significant. There's lots of other privileges, and rather than there, trying to deny it. I think we should be grateful for it.
0: Yeah, no, I do too. This has uh, been uh, a really enlightening and informative conversation, Kirby. I really appreciate you sharing this. We've been talking about woke theology today. We talked about critical race theory. We talked about woke and wokeism. We've talked about white privilege and and some of these, uh, how these ideas are interrelated You know, Kirby, 1 Peter 3.15 says to be ready in season and out of season to give a defense for the hope that's within you for believers. Uh, And I totally affirm that. And if you think about a defense for the hope that is within you, if you want to think about why any particular believer is a believer, they should be able to defend their faith effectively. And I would, as a principle, pull that out and also affirm that that verse means that we should be able to defend what we believe, even if it's not necessarily about salvation or soteriology or about hermeneutics or about scripture. But really, we should be thoughtful Christians. We should be thoughtful believers uh, who think critically, who... Uh, are careful and consider about the positions that we take. And so I think that applies no differently here in this case. And so that's one thing I think our listeners should get out of this. If you were to wrap up for the listener, what what do you think you want them to get out of this?
1: Well, first of all, we talked about this idea of truth. And I think that is really a key issue as well. And so, you know, we uh, should know the truth, and the truth, you know what, sets you free. So uh, John 8 and other passages are just a reminder of the fact that we certainly start with a biblical understanding, and a biblical foundation of truth. Number two, we already have talked about this idea that uh, if we really want to bring about change, that comes from the inside out. And Mm -hmm. so we recognize that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift is what? Eternal life in him. But more importantly, it changes from the inside out because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that when we become a Christian, we become a new creature. And so again, uh, for my Christian friends that maybe are flirting with woke theology, I want to ask a question as we close and that is look at the various social movements that have been effective in america which ones have been the most effective and i think we'd say well the abolition movement the suffrage movement the temperance movement even the civil rights movement you know the attempt to get rid of slavery giving women the vote uh, the whole idea of civil rights what do all of those have in common? They were all based on a Christian foundation. They weren't based on a Marxist idea. They were based on a Christian foundation. What has been most successful in changing society? It has been the gospel. It has been Christian conviction. And so as a result, if we believe that all have sin and fall short of the glory of God, we certainly want to protect ourselves in that regard. But if we also believe that all have been created in God's image and they have value and dignity, You can see in Galatians, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free. I mean, we recognize Greek nor Jew. Uh, We just understand that we're all under Christ and we all ultimately have the dignity and value and should be treated with dignity and value. So the Bible gives us all sorts of justification for bringing about change in society. But the solution is, once again, preaching the gospel And number two, then, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so I would actually say that if we come back to a biblical foundation and reject this secular Marxist foundation, we're going to be much more effective in dealing with the issue of race and bringing about racial reconciliation.
0: Well said, Kirby. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's fantastic. Thank you for joining me for this conversation. It's a hot topic. It's controversial. It's divisive. But Christians who are doing their job are courageous and bold because we're set free in Christ, our security is in Christ, and we need to be the ambassadors for him to speak truth, uh, to be prophetic voices in our culture. because it needs it. So thank you for that wrap there, Kirby. Listener, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast. This is uh, Head and Heart by Probe Ministries. If you want more information on this, there's lots of it on our website, probe.org. I invite you to go check out the website. There's articles, there are downloads, there are other podcasts, there's lots and lots of free resources to check out there. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time.